John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. have accessed entry 305.RM1219, certificate number 26347, Cumberland versus Georgia Tech. The closest thing we have to a secular, American secular religion is probably... Scientology. Yes, it is clearly Scientology. <laughs> Everyone loves it unanimously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We love the ads for it. We love all the celebrities that do it. Would you? But you wouldn't be able to describe it really as secular, would you? Well, it's kind of secular because it's uh, it's much more down to earth than many religions. It's a science religion. It's got spaceships and volcanoes, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it's much less vague than. Um, some kind of uh, mm. higher power out in the universe. Sure. Scientologists are like, nope, he's in a DC-10. We're already now going to end up on a watch list just from talking about it this much. Like a government watch list? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> if I never see you again for 15 years, I know that you've been uh, labeled a unhelpful person. What right, do they call I, them? I'm not sure. A non... Uh, you're, you're pulling back the curtain too far. David Miscavige is going to come and cart me away. Yeah, you're going to be hanging out with his wife. She's, she's quite attractive. Maybe that's not so bad. Never saw her. Never saw a picture of Nobody her. Nobody ever saw her. But I know, I, know that they have a, uh, I know that they have a house up by Lake Arrowhead that I drive by all the time when I'm in the Lake Arrowhead neighborhood. Arrowhead's the thing above LA where they shoot all the old bonanzas or whatever? Yeah, right. Uh, and uh, there's some like mysterious uh, bunker house there that goes down 40 stories and... <laughs> I don't know. And there's, Into the lake. And there's a live lion or something. I'm not sure. They, uh, you can't see it from the road. Suppressive persons. That's what I'm thinking Suppressive persons? Well, I don't want to be labeled a suppressive person. No. no I was going to say, well, what would you say is America? Well, my, to, in my mind, America's secular, America's secular religion, religion is football today. It's American football. Football. Right. Famously, in the words of uh, whatever that Will Smith movie is, they own a day of the week. Uh-huh. Sunday used to be Yahweh's. Yeah. And now it's uh, American football. And now it's the NFLs. Uh, yeah, I guess what I would say shopping, maybe. Because mm. it owns seven days it of the week. Own. It does Shopping owns. It owns. It pawns. I'm going to go shop for <laughs> wallpaper. Uh, uh, but football, do you feel like football, there's something about football that makes me feel like its day has passed a little bit. But I know that probably statistics don't bear that out. 
No, because you're thinking of whatever your childhood, the Dallas Cowboys of America's team. Pittsburgh Pirates. You mean the Steelers? Oh, that was a baseball team, the Pirates. Yeah, right. The Steelers, the Steelers. Mean Joe Green. Cheerleader calendars. And yeah, Mean Joe Green tossing the Coke to the kid. Yeah. But interestingly, they continued to play football after our childhoods. (laughs) And is it it still very popular? Eh, It's fine. It's kind of artisanal. No, it's insanely huge. Bigger than baseball. Yeah. Um, by any numbers, I think, attendance. And, uh, I, you know, I, I've been made aware of it a couple times recently. First of all, just watching it become a political flashpoint. Oh, sure, sure. You know, the patriotic displays, the Department of Defense buying advertising times during games, players kneeling during the anthem to protest awful law enforcement incidents. And so you get even the president of the United States tweeting his support for that beloved underdog, the NFL. But also my son. I've also seen my son come under its uh, corrosive power. Well, now explain this to me because in Seattle, we have a baseball stadium and a football stadium. I'm with you so far. And they seem about the same size. They take up the same amount of ground. I think maybe the football stadium holds a few more people, but not that many more. I think you can put 50,000 people in both of them, more or less. And football sells out their games, but they only have like seven games a year. Right. Baseball does, they don't always sell out their games, but they have like 600 games. They almost never sell out games here. But yeah, there are 81 regular season baseball games here. So it was, and eight yeah. regular season football. So it would seem like baseball was bigger just because there's more. I almost think it diffuses it, you know? Baseball has 162 games. You really, the amount you can care about any specific one is less than zero. Well, I feel like, I feel that way about every score in a basketball game, except for the last 10. Do you think they should just skip to the last 10? I do. The basketball scores now are routinely like 115 to 111, and it should just have been 15 to 11. I guess the difficulty is how would you decide what to make the score going into the last 10 baskets? Do you think it always starts? Should be a hundred to a hundred. It should always be a hundred to a hundred. Yeah. That's a powerful advantage for the team that would not have scored a hundred on their own. Yeah. Like, like the worst team is going to love that rule. Or you could start at zero to zero and just make a basketball game like 11 minutes long. You can make, if you did that, you can make each basket like 11 points. Yeah. And then it would, the scores would look about the same, except they would always idea. be divisible by 10. Uh, I guess people like watching basketball, so this isn't a thing that would interest them. Is there a sport you like to watch? You play rugby, you ski, or you you have done these things. I like watching, I'm very confused by televised rugby. I don't understand what's going on. I didn't understand what was going on when I was on the field, and I don't understand watching it. I was a terrible rugby player. Did that cut your career short, the fact that you had literally no idea what the game was about? It did. It really did. You were like, I want a castle on my (laughs) queen side. John, how many times do we have to tell you? My teammates thought I was uh, an advantage early on because I was big and and I could take punishment. So they would just send me into the fray, but then they realized they had no strategery. I had no understanding of what to do if I ever got the ball. There's a higher, there's nine-dimensional rugby going on in oh, these people's for sure. minds. For sure. And, and you were not at that level. No, it's smart and it's also really physical. So you have to be smart whilst yeah, uh, you, in combat. You got to be smizical. Yeah. And I was not, I was not any of those things. I was just a big, dumb, like side of beef. Uh, but skiing, I like watching downhill ski racing and I'm always thrilled when it's on. But there's no team sport. You're like, eh, let me turn on the game. You got your clicker. 
Bowling. I like bowling, watching bowling. Is that even on TV anymore? No. That's, that's my very, childhood not, for sure. Not very often, but <laughs> if I see it, I'll I'll watch it. Bowling, you really can watch the game and be like, I'm in better shape than all these guys. <laughs> you, you feel very good about yourself. Uh, you know, like all kinds of sporting events. I'll watch golf all afternoon. I'll, I'll watch... Um, I said team sports. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to boil it down. Oh, curling. <laughs> have you ever watched curling? I used I to watch curling have. late at night for hours. I, I never get tired of I don't curling. like how it has some hipster appeal now. Like everyone realized... It's hilarious if we pretend we like this uh, dumb sport. It has hipster appeal? Yeah. How, how, why do they ruin everything? And it's, they're making fun of it. Like, I assume you uh, sincerely enjoyed things about curling, and these guys are just like, oh, they've got brooms. How can you not enjoy it? It's so, I feel a, the kinetic power of curling so strongly. I love it too. But there's no, speaking of hipsters, there is no mass appeal sport you have mentioned. You know, you, you, oh. you're not going to commit to liking... Football, basketball, baseball, I, I, NASCAR. I watch, you know, hockey. We, you and I go to baseball games mm -hmm. uh, all summer long. Not, and I like it live. I like it in person great. much better than TV. I love it. Because it, it's it more TV. of a, uh, it's almost an outdoor experience. It's like going to the park or, the, or a hike much more than it is like turning on an entertainment and wanting right. to see who wins. My dad was an enormous sports person. He was a fan of all sports. He had a little pennant that said sports. He played, he, wave. he played sports. My dad had a heart attack on the basketball court when he was 57 years old. He was like charging up the lane and was like, Ugh. wait, that was not his final. No, 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 no. Oh, he, okay. he continued to have heart attacks for uh, 30 more years. But, um, what a guy to stick with it. Oh yeah. Until he got, until he <laughs> yeah. got really good. Uh, my uncle was an all-star and for Yale in the 40s. I think you have said so. And was, I forgot about that. Yeah, he was on the um, national superstar team or whatever. Our, our story today also takes place in a time when America's most elite athletes are at Harvard, Yale, and Princeton, which is hilarious mm -hmm. to me or anyone in our era. But he was a national star, Uncle Jack was, for the period that he was there at Yale. But my dad had a real hierarchy of sports, and I think his hierarchy of sports was... Probably college basketball at the top, and then college football immediately beneath that. Why do you think he preferred those to the professionals? Oh, he just thought the, the, the college games were just better in every way, scrappier and more engaging. But he was also from the, I mean, my dad was born in 21, and he was a member of that world where your college oh, was yeah. the organizing center of the rest of your life. And his, <laughs> he was a Phi Gamma Delta. And he would meet those Fijis out in the world. And, and would he would do some blah, 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 blah thing and do chicken wings or, or so, whatever there. So when he, was, when he was in the hospital at 87 years old, like on his way to, he was there for a few months before he died. And I was in his room at one point and I was like, dad, show me the secret handshake for the Fijis. And he was like, never, <laughs> not on your life. He's like John McCain. <laughs> and I was like, come on, it's not going to hurt anybody. I'm not going to, I'm not going to pretend to be a Fiji. Just like, let there be no secrets between us. Show me your secret fraternity handshake. And he was like, never. And so, if, if he had, you immediately would have tweeted it for sure. Oh, I would have been, I'd be over at the Fiji house right now. Like, hey brothers. <laughs> Where's the buffet? <laughs> yeah, show me the trophy room. <laughs> do you think there are perks if you can just do the secret handshake? Like, Well, so at one point, Years and years ago, I was living in a fraternity in Ithaca. I had a friend there at Cornell, and I showed up at Cornell without a pot to piss in. And, and so I moved into a room there at the fraternity and lived there for a summer. I worked as a bartender at Cornell. 
and I was in some room at one point because it was reunion time. All mm. the classes were coming back. And um, this was like the late 80s. So I was bartending. I think I bartended the reunion for the Cornell class of 1918 or something like this. All <laughs> these great, like super old timers uh, in straw boaters and stuff. But a guy, a, there was a knock on the door where I was staying and I opened it up and there was a, like a World War II vet standing there. And he put out his hand and I put out my hand and he, his middle finger tickled my palm and then drew the sign of the cross and tapped out SOS or something. <laughs> and you could feel the devil leave you. And I was just like, Wah! you know, kind of like startled by this weird complex thing that was happening inside my hand. And then he got startled that I didn't reply. He had just revealed the the secrets yeah, to, he a, had, to a suppressive person. He'd offered his fraternity handshake to a snork. <laughs> and he was like, what are you doing here? And I was like, I'm just a guy that's staying in the fraternity. And he was like, this was my room back in aught four. <laughs> and uh, so I recognized at that point that there was, this was a serious breach. And, and, he had, you know, and he would have to murder you. And I, you know, and I really like kowtowed and was like, I, you know, I don't even know what happened then. But I, that summer I, I went down and found their goat. They had left their secret room unlocked and I went in there and it caused a real controversy. They like, had a goat. A goat is what the fraternities call their secret meeting room where they spank each other with cricket bats and. They keep all their prizes. Don't some of them have an actual goat and then you steal somebody else's goat? I have a very vague idea of 20th century collegiate pranks. Yeah, that seems like something that Navy would do to Army. I guess right? that's true. But the goat is not actually a physical animal of any kind. In this case, they referred to this room as their goat. But and it's, they, it's just a sex dungeon. Well, I mean, I didn't really like see all the whips and chains. They have I, robes. They have Geronimo's skull. They're doing terrible things. Yeah, th that's skull and bones. That's not a fraternity. Ooh, ouch. Well, it's not, right? No, it's, it's a, not. It's, it's a, a secret, secret society. society. Yeah. But, you know, speaking of awful influences that have way too much power in America, are you, are you aware of kind of this idea today that the National Football League, the most popular pursuit in America, is also kind of corrosive and really has, indefensible in yes. American life? Well, I mean, are, haven't they decided that football is bad for people? It turns out <laughs> that, uh, that it, hurts just, their, it hurts their heads. Just hitting the largest people you can find with your head until you can't do it anymore has long-term effects. But also, my understanding is there's a lot of money in sports. Uh, that's what I hear. I've thought about starting a football league if I could just get a scratch together. <laughs> Ken Jennings' indoor football, Nerf football league? Yeah, it'd be like the XFL, except like less extreme. What's the, what's the opposite of extreme? Middle uh, of the road. Boy, I, <laughs> let, let me go get my mirror. It would be like the uh, the vanilla football league. Yeah, the VFL. It's it's one better, two better than the XFL. Well, the problem with calling it the vanilla league. Oh yeah, racially charged. Yeah, for sure. It's all punters. Well, and that's another thing about professional sports in America is that right. they are racially charged. The optics are terrible because often it's. Young kids from marginalized communities where this is their out to get good enough at the sport and they don't care what it does to their bodies before they're 30 because they need this. They need to save up. Right. And then you've got these kids who actually have a platform for the first time and the yo-yos who like to watch them hit their heads on things do not want to hear mm. their social concerns. Mm -mm. So there's a very delicate balancing act for the team and the commissioner. Um, but my son, uh, after kind of being 
pretty apathetic about sports mm -hmm. for most of his life. Sports agnostic? Yeah, sports agnostic. Like he's not sure if they exist. Did he, was he, he hears rumors that there's whole channels. Was he into but, any of them? Like, was there like a Pokemon sport that he, or archery or something? He briefly would play, like he's a kid who would uh, take different lessons every six months. Oh. It, it would be fencing and then it would be softball and then it would be archery and then, it, and he would just be Taekwondo and he would love each new one until it wasn't the new one anymore. It sounds to me that he's preparing to be a ninja based on the <laughs> ones you just listed. He's going to be Batman, actually. <laughs> he's going to go to Tibet and study all these sports for a few weeks, learn how to yeah. slow down his heart rate and breathing. And then he's going to come back and wreak havoc on the criminal underworld of Seattle. That's pretty killer. But uh, the thing that got him into football, of all things, which I thought would never be his sport of choice, just because there, there is some vague idea that it is not the socially responsible sport. I see. Mm -hmm. to watch. Football's not the woke sport anymore. But the thing that got him into it was fantasy football. Which I have never understood. Not for a not for a hot second have I understood what it even is. Let, I mean, it's been explained to me, right? I understand you put together a team and then that team performs. Based in, on their real life performance that week. Right. But, oh boy, it's so just, such a strange Even after reading impulse. multiple New York Times stories about what a multi-bajillion dollar industry this was, I didn't get that. I kind of felt like this is still just something for geeky sports geek dads like right. it's just like rotisserie or saber metrics or one of these weird mathematical things that these guys like to do because there's just not enough sports right. like sports is the only field where you can just well that's not true sports and right-wing politics are the only fields where you can just listen your, your car you can make your car talk about it all day right and it won't even be the people who matter it'll just be other people being like well you know what i think the problem is this year hey this is dave from renton again love the show I just want to tell you what I think, you know, like, why is that a format? Our, our friend Jason Finn, uh, likes to blah, 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 blah about sports. He does. And, uh, I have said to him many times that he should go down to Cairo and get himself a sports show. And he says that he's not even, he's not even in the, not on that level, not even at the third rank <laughs> of guys that can yabba yabba about sports all day. He's like, no way, man, that's the pros. And I'm, I'm like amateur level. The thing about fantasy that I didn't realize is how it weaponizes football. Just like actual like, football or game or pretend football. It weaponizes actual NFL games for the spectator in the same way that you could make a virus go airborne or you could oh. refine cocaine into crack or you could Africanize your killer bees mm -hmm. just so that it becomes just irresistible and lethal. Oh. Because the thing about having having your little stable of guys that your performance depends on is you now care about every single game. Oh, weird. And even once the outcome of the game is not in doubt, you're still watching You still care stats. about your players. Uh, and even when those players are, even when that team has been, you know, out of contention for the playoffs, you still care about that game. So the NFL has made you care about every single game every week, even if it's the worst game. Is fantasy football run by the NFL? I always assumed it was just some like woodshedding thing. Some like thing that <laughs> you think it's a guy in a woodshed. Well, that people just kind of came up with and that requires no technology, but you're just like, Hey, like you and I could come up with a fantasy football league right now, like a team or something. Should we right? do that? Should we make the show about <laughs> that? Should we never get to come Georgia tech Cumberland? I want Russell Wilson. Uh, I will take Russell Wilson's wife, Ciara. <laughs> I want mean Joe green. <laughs> I want the kid he throws the towel to. <laughs> Yeah, so there's a, it's not, you know, the NFL, I think, does not have its own official fantasy football league. People are playing oh. via ESPN or their office pool or whatever it is. Yeah. But the NFL has realized what this has done for 
oh. cable subscription and viewership and attendance and enthusiasm and jersey sales. My son bought a jersey for a player on a team he has never heard about or cares about just because it's his star running back. And then when this guy started to beat women and got bounced out of the league, my son now has a jersey for this, for the worst man in America, basically, <laughs> that he paid $70 for. <laughs> and he's stuck with this. Yeah. It's a team 2,000 miles away from Seattle. Well, let me, uh, let me ask you this. This seems like a question that Ken Jennings would be able to fake an answer for. How many possible combinations of fantasy football teams are there any given year? Oh, it's, it's greater than the number of atoms in the universe, I think. So, because so, you, you, and you're not talking about sane teams. You're talking about, let's just say a player is a dope and just starts picking reserves from random teams to start at running back or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm sure it's 10 to the, it's the, it's, you know, it's 10 to, uh, some large two digit number. So it's very rare that two people would have exactly the same fantasy football team. Oh, also you can't, you can't clone a player. Once you have drafted Russell Wilson, I cannot draft Russell Wilson. Oh, but within a league, within your league. I see. Yeah. It, oh, in America, yes. In America. In America, somebody else will have definitely have a lot of the same players as you. And because people tend to choose along the same algorithms, you know, that really reduces the, the size of the footprint. So yeah, it's not unlikely that some team out there would have the same five-star players as you. Right. But they probably wouldn't have your whole lineup. You're, you're a special little snowflake. I, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I mean, and not really, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The question you asked did not have. What were you hoping to discover that your team would be or unique or not? Uh, oh, I'm not sure. I'm just trying to figure out what, like. Was it so long ago you don't remember? I'm trying to figure out like how this could be a national pastime that generated billions of dollars because if two people could come up with the same team, like, is it like the lottery where if you pick the same numbers, you split the jackpot? Oh, yeah, there's no, there's not really a national powerball of fantasy football. You're playing oh. with your friends or your oh, coworkers in a little league. And, you know, somebody else on ESPN in their own office league or school league or whatever, somebody might have an identical team to you or a similar team to you, but you, you would never know. You're just playing head to head against Greg from work that week. That's all you care about. And it's really all my son talks about. Hmm. He has his phone out. And you'd think he'd be texting his girlfriend. And more often than not, he's like watching Jaguars Titans. Wow. And I'm like, that's a terrible game, Dylan. He's like, shh. What do they do the rest of the year after the Super Bowl and before the uh, Summer Bowl? They call into uh, WSQR and they're oh. like, well, here's where they went wrong. You never should have <laughs> traded Johnson. <laughs> like, that's why they have sports radio, because what are they going to do with the other hours of the day? Well, uh, I, I have some statistics here. Uh, the average attendance of a baseball game in the year 2000 was 30,000 people. The average crowd at a football game was 66,000 people, twice as many. If you're asking what has overall attend most overall attendance, I think NASCAR beats both. Yeah. And yet, if you asked Americans what's the national pastime, baseball has the historical authority and gravitas. It might uh, depend on which side of the Mason-Dixon line you're on. Because I bet if you went to Atlanta and said what's the national pastime, they would say... Burning crosses. They would say curling. <laughs> they, and then they would totally say curling. <laughs> pecan pie eaten. And then NASCAR. Would they, would they say national pastime was NASCAR? Do they know? It says right in it, NASCAR. <laughs> do they know that there's whole swaths of America that uh, are pretty indifferent to stock car racing? I think I, they, they must know. They understand. They must have heard. Yeah. They have uh, TV. It, they it, know that the guys on NCSI who seem nice and relatable are not sitting around watching NASCAR. Well, I don't know. If you're a fish, do you know you live in water? 
It says, Stock car racing is the water of the South. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free plus twenty dollars off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout that's butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout it says that uh, baseball games in 2000 cost $20, where football games cost $55. I wish I could get into a football game for $55. Jeez. Not in this town, John. We're a football town right now because Seattle's a huge bandwagon sports town. This is the crazy thing. NFL brings in $2.2 billion, this again in 2000, whereas the major league baseballs earn only $340 million, Whoa. which is... So it's like seven to one. That's crazy. However, the average Major League Baseball player earns over $2 million in $2,000, whereas the average salary in the NFL is only $1.2 million. Salary is lower for something that's taking way more years off your life. And making way more money for the money people. Yeah. Interdasting. I wonder if, I wonder how much, no, I think the squads are about the same size. Honestly, you're paying about the same number of players. So the NFL sounds like it's ripe for a socialist revolution. Well, I think it really, like I would posit that it really has gotten to the point where liking the NFL is like eating meat in that it's essentially indefensible unless you're just going to say, I like it too much to quit. This would also be a very hard case to make south of the Mason-Dixon line, that eating meat was indefensible. You think they've never heard of this idea? I don't think they've even heard of that idea in north of the Mason-Dixon line. I think that is an idea that only exists in San Francisco, Santa Barbara. There's like eight square miles of America where it's okay to be a vegetarian. <laughs> Down in the, I mean, lower, lower west side. I'm not even sure about the lower east side. People know, though. Like the news has been telling people for decades what meat is doing to them and here's yeah. how the chickens are treated. Every year, there's more reasons to check out of meat. And yet, it's uh, the problem is it tastes better than vegetables, and yes. football tastes better than golf. And yeah, all right. It's just in our blood now. I read an article in the Atlantic magazine yesterday that said 50% of Americans believe in demonic possession, and not as a metaphor, but actual demons. Well, evil. the interesting thing is, there's two people in this room. Interesting. One do, of us believes. In, do, does one of us believe in one demonic, us possession? demonic possession? Oh, uh, I guess. I guess. Is I, it me? I guess when I say there's two people in this room, what I mean is there's two people and 150 demons <laughs> you, you can't see in this room. Right. Maybe there aren't two people in this room. Maybe there's one people and a demon. And a dark lord. A demon that has taken corporeal form. Is this the moment when you had your Pauline Kale, nobody I know voted for Nixon realization that you do not live in the real America? Well, you, you no, don't I knew that. Your, you don't think half of your friends. Believe in demonic possession. I knew that a long time ago that I don't read, uh, live in the real America. Was it the second you opened the Atlantic? 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the second I subscribed to the Atlantic in, in 1998, I knew I was in a special class of snowflakes. My son, uh, as a result of his newfound love for football, wants us to discuss a very particular 1916 football game. Put it in the omnibus for future consumption. This is a show that is targeted specifically to your son. Dylan, are you out there? Are you listening right now? Buddy, I just want to know that if, you know, your mom and I really love you. Dylan, uh, it was really great to see you the other day. You've grown up so fast. You're taller than your dad now. I don't know why you always put your backpack on that little, like (laughs) next to the bench in the hall. It would actually take less energy to put it on the bench, but you don't. You put it under the bench. Hmm. Still not clear on why. Uh, Dylan, I I have one more thing to say, which is that your girlfriend is extremely cute, but you spend too much time with her looking at your phone and you need to spend more time paying attention to your little friend. To your parents, you mean? Oh, I see. No, I I watched him at that party. He was looking at his phone and she was looking at him. They were probably texting. Mm, I think he was playing fantasy football. I think he was probably playing. (laughs) It was was Sunday night, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's on the clock, John. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's got no time for canoodling. My 100% goal is to embarrass Dylan now, going forward. He doesn't actually listen to the show. Oh. I I told him. Just follows it on his phone. I told him we would not do his football request show unless he listened to the last show he requested, which is The Fourth Crusade. Did he listen I'll to turn it? The he did not, but he said, I listened to the Pokemon one. <laughs> like he could not be troubled to listen to the topic he requested, but I, he did listen to Pokemon Go. When I saw him and realized how much taller he was than the last time I saw him, I said, you're taller than your dad. And he was like, yeah, maybe an inch or two. And I said, maybe, as though you don't know exactly to the micrometer. But then I said something like, boy, you know, that's got to burn your dad's britches. And he did not take the bait. He didn't want to josh around. A thing about Dylan is he does not want to engage with adults much. Right. I guess that's not, he, he doesn't mind it. He likes being one of the guys. But yeah, he will, he is Mr. Checkout of a conversation now. The second that it, uh, he's like the, the robot cops in THX 1138. Like he's following you, but the second he's no longer uh, making a profit on the deal, he will just bow out. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I still love him. Yeah, sure. And that's why. You're contractually obligated. And that's why Cumberland, Georgia Tech. Although I did just make him listen to half an hour of this before yeah. we actually got to the game. Well, that's what's so frustrating about this show. Oh my gosh. We don't get to the point fast enough. Will these guys ever stop rambling? They haven't even talked about the topic yet. Will these guys ever have a nice bullet pointed list of things about <laughs> their topic that they can then cover in order? Let me explain to people that are still listening to this show, but somehow still frustrated by this, that it's the wonderful thing about podcasts. Airtime is no longer scarce, right? Up until just recently, all airtime was managed by companies. Down to the second. Down to the second. It was was impossible to ramble on the radio. Well, unless you were in sports radio. Hey, uh, (laughs) this is Bob from Renton. Now we can talk as long as we want about anything and you can, you can go listen to something else. But was it good for us as a culture? To to what? Infinite storage, the ability to ramble endlessly? No, not (laughs) not as a culture, but, but I think it's good for you and me in the context of this show. You know, I've said that it, it seems like a novelty that football is the most popular sport in America. But in fact, in the early 20th century, where we lay our scene, when baseball essentially had a monopoly on pro sports, it was not the number one attended sport in America. Baseball wasn't. No, the very early years of the 20th century, college football drew so many more attendees than baseball. And it was because of what you say. Your, your loyalty then was not to your city. 
or to your Yankees, to your squad. It was to your alma mater, your old, your, your beloved alma mater that you would sing about right. in, in four part harmony. You thing. went back every homecoming. You homecoming. wore the sweater. Yeah. Homecoming. Homecoming is still a dance, but it used to be actual homecoming when you would go back to your home and see your, your, your mates. I was at a party last night and the topic came up of marching bands because I go to some scintillating parties. That sounds like a heck of a party. And a couple of the people in the group of people I was talking to said, we were in marching band in high school and college. There were a married couple. And she said, we met in marching band. So of course I was like, everyone else can leave this conversation, but I am going in. And I said, tell me more. And she said, we went back to homecoming because we went to, you know, we went to Auburn or some crazy football school. She said, we went back last year and I marched with the band. She was on color guard, I guess. So she's 55 years old and, and still, out there. Still spinning the flags. Spinning the flags and marching with the band at the homecoming game. I was like, yeah. My son does marching band and this is really the first time I think he's had some kind of collective identity. Every other sport, you know, he was out in two lessons. And this time it really is like, yeah, I'm, I'm one of the band. What does he play in the band? Trumpet. And I went to his homecoming game and sure enough, there were alumni coming back to sit with the drum circle, whatever they call them. You never been to a BYU homecoming? I've been to college homecoming games, but the idea that you would go back to your high school oh. and, and sit in with the band, I was very impressed because band does foster that kind of a, a unity, I guess. But, but, you know, as did colleges in life back then, but even though college football was incredibly popular. It was also a huge, like the controversy today over football pales next to what was going on with football in the first decade of the 20th century. Why? Because the forward pass having not yet been invented, it was a much more physical game. Every play was on the ground. Um, it was a rugby like game where people would just be scrapping and punching and kicking and biting for every inch. You could kick, though. You could punt, right? No no modern safety equipment. Right. Oh, I see. You could kick the ball. Yes. Much scoring came from kicking the ball, right? You had a leather helmet. I mean, my uncle played in the leather helmet, no face mask era of football. And there's a reason why there were, in the year 1905, 18 fatalities nationwide oh. in football, three in college, the rest all in high school. So to the degree that something could be a national shame in the early 20th century when there's almost no national news, this became one of the biggest stories in America. Was it really? Because it seems like at that point in time, 18 deaths would have been small. There were more deaths than that just in the like garment industry. There were more deaths than that from molasses floods. Yeah, probably. Right. right. Think about, think about how cheap human life was in 1910. I guess, I don't know. What, what is it about? It's happening in front of an audience. Right. Um, it's, uh, you know, yeah. the, the best and the brightest of your campus right. are, are, are getting mowed down and probably in awful ways. In it, front of their parents. And if there were 18 fatalities, there were a lot more casualties. Sure. I mean, think how long it's been since there's been a fatality in pro or college football. And yet you get hundreds of guys every week getting terrible head injuries that will no doubt make them go crazy in a 7-Eleven in 20 years. Right. So, and nothing changed because it was very heated on both sides. It, it's the same stuff you hear today. We can't change this game. This is tradition. Yeah. Uh, until Teddy Roosevelt himself got involved. His son, He was president of the United States, but his son was on the football team at... Either Harvard. Yale or Harvard. Harvard? Is that right? Harvard. So the president actually sticks up for, in much the same way that we would have Trump tweeting today about standing up for the anthem, Teddy Roosevelt uses his bully pulpit 
to push for football reforms. And in, the, in 1906, the organizers agree that the following changes will be made to college football. There will be a neutral zone between the offense and the defense, which never happened before. Oh. You were right in each other's grill uh-huh. the neutral whole time. <laughs> there, the flying wedge was banned, which was a formation, which is, it's just like the military thing you imagine. Sure. A ball carrier surrounded by a triangle of guys linking arms and they're just knocking everybody out of the way. I think I would like to see that reinstated. Uh, sadly, still illegal. I mean, you'll, you'll see a similar formation on kickoff or punt returns, but they're not allowed to just link arms. Link arms the thing is, the there guy. are so many football players now that can leap 10 feet straight up in the air that I think the linked arms defense would be... There is finally a third dimensional workaround yeah, to if, the... If you're... You'd if, be like a tesseract just coming out of the... Appearing in the room, whoop. How'd this guy get inside the flying wedge? Sure, all those, all the guys would just leap over, and then you're you're linked up, right? And the enemy's behind you. Every, oh. Everybody used to think two dimensionally, like in Wrath of Khan, but now you can just hop right over. Um, so the the flying wedge is banned. Uh, first down used to be five yards. Uh-huh. Um, so, so everybody is packed within this little tiny area of the field. So by changing that to what we have today, 10 yards, and we should say, by the way, for future links, this sport is incomprehensible to most of the world. Even though this is hugely popular in America, this is the one variety of football that is not caught on anywhere else. Really? Rug- rugby, two different forms of rugby, association, soccer, um, you know, sm- there's small fan followings in Europe, but they do not understand why we will sit through this irritating stop and go form of football with more sitting around yakking than actual play. And why is it? Because you can advertise beer during all those stoppages. No, but I mean, (laughs) why is it that no one else gets it? And why is it that we do like it? So I'm sure you would like there to be some thing about the American character that is revealed in our particular love of this form of gridiron football. But what if it's not? What if it's just arbitrary convention? We got into it at the right time and now it's too late to try to, uh, change to Australian rules football or soccer or union rugby. Well, like why baseball is very popular in Latin America and Japan, but no one in Europe or central Asia seems to care about it. Has ever heard of it. Why? Why? Do you wander, that? do you wander central Asia and, I do. and ask people if they, what their favorite baseball team the thing is? is? I'm on the silk road quite a bit. Uh, hey, because guy on a camel. <laughs> I'm part of the international heroin uh, conspiracy. So I'm uh, out there checking product and stuff. And you know a lot about their baseball opinions. And I'm like, well, you know, because I'm always wearing my favorite baseball jersey. I always have my Ichiro jersey on. I mean, the fact that India still loves cricket to this day just makes it look like a historical accident. India right. got into cricket at the right time. Uh, Japan and the Dominican Republic got into baseball at the right time. Lithuania got into basketball at the right time. And we have baseball. Do you like watching soccer? I do not like watching soccer and everyone else will tell me it's the most aesthetically beautiful, strategically complex, dense with incident game in the world. And the fact that I don't get it makes me think it's just because I didn't come up with it. It's too late for me. Did you not play soccer as a kid? I played soccer every recess. And I played soccer. I played organized soccer all through childhood from what? Second grade to seventh grade. On the icy soccer pitches of Alaska. Mm. Boys club, Alaska boys club. I was on a team called King Tuck's Hurricanes, named after a bar, King, uh, King Tuck's I was hoping King Tuck's was a local tuxedo rental place <laughs> that sponsored you guys like bad, like bad News Bears. No, I think in the 1970s, every kid's sports team was sponsored by a bar. 
that was my experience. It was just like, how dirty is the bar that sponsors your your soccer? Your team? bar would literally get shut down yeah. if you didn't sponsor some kind of little league or something. And then team. and then the little kids soccer pictures would be like up above the bar, right? It, like the owner of the bar with his ten year olds. Uh, but when I watched soccer on television, I mean, it's maybe one of the my least favorite things to watch. It just seems like it's interminable, and for every two seconds of action, there's like 15 minutes of just every time an American complains about how there's no scoring in soccer, you know, a European will have to tell you what a, the lack of artistry in right. your soul. Oh, should sex be all orgasm then? Yes. <laughs> if, we, if we could have that. <laughs> yeah. I think that's not a winning argument. My God, <laughs> Who would be against it? Uh, but they like the suspense, the gradually developing, you right. know, it's 90 minutes of foreplay. Right. And, but they, you can and kick, they think they think we're rubes, basically. Well, we are for, rubes. For wanting the numbers to change. They're, they're just numbers, after all. If you look at, well, certainly if you look at football, we seem like rubes, but isn't baseball the most intellectual of all sports? Just because, I think we think that because George Will was into it briefly in the yeah. 80s, and he would talk about the cathedral of the diamond uh. and the... Uh, there's, there's, there's nothing to like about George Will. I don't even, I'm not even doing an impression. I don't know. I don't know what that voice even is, but yeah, he thought that was a humanizing thing about him that he liked baseball. Yeah. Right. Just a regular Joe. <laughs> Talking about the uh, cathedral of the dugout or whatever, but, uh, football, uh, football survived because of those reforms. Um, and the main reform that opened up the game was the forward pass. Mm-hmm. You, have to, you have to imagine that in the early 20th century, there was no passing in football, no crying in baseball, no passing in football. The ball would stay on the ground. And that was why there were so many injuries. You know, everybody's clustered very close, just like watching four-year-olds play peewee soccer. Everybody would be trailing the ball. Right. And Because uh, it was an evolution of rugby, which was an evolution of soccer. Exactly. Yeah. And if you don't know who they're going to throw to, the quarterback might pass and you don't know where to, you're going to have to spread out all over the field and presto, fewer head wounds. And, right. Stop and, kicking and each other with your Compound cleats. fractures. Exactly. So f- the forward pass had been tried occasionally by desperate players in the heat of, in the heat of the game, you know, just looking to get rid of the ball before they got smashed. And uh, it was always, you know, it would always be banned. The referees would mark the ball dead. There was one, I think there's a famous Harvard-Yale case where the referee didn't know what to do and realized there was no official rule on the books. What happens if the quarterback passes the ball? We don't know. So he flipped a coin and uh, it, I think, came back in favor of the quarterback. Oh, really? Yeah. But except for that, no, it was, it was not only illegal, but it was just unheard of. And the problem is even once it was legalized, coaches didn't like to do it because they thought it was wussy stuff. Oh, I see. This is a tough man's game, and I'm not going to be throwing a beautiful spiral pass in my game of inches and gravel and broken teeth. Right. It's kind of like, uh, do you remember when Rick Barry used to shoot his free throws underhanded? I have no idea what you're talking about. Is this a <laughs> golf reference? I switched to basketball without <laughs> okay. warning you. Who's Rick Barry? One of the yeah, uh, one of the greatest and most disliked NBA players of all time for the San Francisco and Golden State Warriors in the 70s and early 80s. Rick Barry shot all his free throws underhanded. Oh no, I've seen that. You've seen it, right? Yeah. And the guy had like a 90 point something percent. <laughs> he retired with the best free throw percentage in NBA history. But it looked ridiculous. And, and, and so no one would do it. Everyone hated it. Yeah. You know, I think in the 10 or 15 years ago when Shaq was famously a 50% shooter at the line, you know, Rick Barry asked him in an interview, why don't you just shoot underhanded? Like, you know, I, I, everybody who tries it gets better. And it's true. Like yeah. they've studied this. And Shaq is like, yeah, uh, I would be shooting 0% and I would not do that just because there's some sense that it's not macho. Right. 
And there's nothing inherently macho about shooting a ball either way. It's just what everybody's been doing, and I'm not doing the weird thing. It's the same way second graders think. But as a result of that, it, it was very the forward pass was very slow to catch on in football. It was not until 1907 that uh, Pop Warner of Pee Wee football fame mm-hmm. was coaching at an industrial school in Pennsylvania for uh, which is which would have described every school in Pennsylvania at the time. <laughs> right. This one was interesting because it was like some kind of boarding school for uh, Native American kids. Huh. So he's coaching the Carlisle Indians. That's that's the team name and the racial makeup of the. Uh-huh. It's not like today where there are no. Redskins on the Redskins right? and very few Yankees on the Yankees. The Carlisle Indians were all Indian kids and, and they were much smaller than most of the, I don't know, big German or Bohunk kids they were playing against. So they needed some kind of faster, smarter game full of trick plays. So Warner had all these innovations. He would have them hide the ball inside their bulky jerseys uh-huh. so the op- opponents couldn't even tell who to tackle. And one of the things he brought out was the forward pass. Also, he had a player named Jim Thorpe on that team. Oh, sure. Which always helps. I'm familiar with that name. Is that a, did I name the other football player besides me, Joe Green, that you <laughs> he's, know? Uh, he's, uh, yeah, he's famous for having done something. He's in the Olympics. In the Olympics in football. He was like an eight sport guy. Yeah. The uh, greatest athlete of his era and, you know, huge for representation of his race because he was the most famous right. Native American in, in pre-Will Rogers America. So they would pass the ball because that's a skill play that you can run against a bigger defense. And they did very well. They would beat, they would routinely beat the best teams in America. And that was kind of the turning point. It was never Notre Dame and New Rockney. It was always Pop Warner teaching these, you know, Indian kids to to run up the score on what should have been bigger, more elite teams. Huh. Uh, but in 19, by the time of 1916, <coughs> when Cumberland plays Georgia Tech, mm-hmm. did we, hey, we finally got there. Well, I'm not sure. Did we? <laughs> <laughs> it could all still go wrong. Uh-huh. I think I never answered your question about why we have two different stadiums. So we could just go back to that. By the time we got to 1916, the what? time of Gloria Tech and Cumberland. What's going on in America <laughs> in 1916, John? Set the scene for us. Well, oh, 1916. Well, um, yeah, World War I is raging in Europe. America, America has not yet entered the no, war. No, we're still very isolationist. Would have been an interesting time. We would have had, um, well, it would have been before the flapper era. So ladies still all had 10 feet of hair that they kept pinned up above their heads. Like, and, a, like a Gibson girl, like right? Like a Gibson girl, right? Shoes would have been those weird witchy shoes. Everybody was wearing witchy shoes then. Straw boaters were popular. Spanish flu. That came later. Is still a couple years out. Yeah, that's 1919. So all the people who would, all these boys who would die in the war and from the flu are still alive and playing football. Right. Um, one of the best, one of the most elite football programs in the South is Georgia Tech, the Yellow Jackets. Their coach is a man named John Heisman, today of Heisman Trophy fame. Well, now that's a name that you couldn't help but have heard. So that we, we, we're now up to two football players and one football coach that you have heard of. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you remember OJ stealing his Heisman back or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm an American. I am familiar with a lot of these things, even if I'm not like uh, deep in the culture. Can you imagine if they did the World War II thing where they try to find out if you're a, a, a Nazi spy? Yeah. They're like, so they're asking, who plays third base for the Tigers? <laughs> and you and me would be like, uh, 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 I don't know. But I'll tell you all about Scrappy-Doo. <laughs> Unless we're, unless you're too good. Sometimes in those tests, the question is like, are they too good? Mm. Like if they actually know, you know, some platoon player for the Orioles, then you're like, aha, you studied a list. Nazi. I think, I think my answer to that challenge would be the same as my answer to every challenge, which would be shut up. <laughs> Who the hell do you think you are? 
And then the other soldier would be like, oh, I recognize. No, then you'd be in front of a firing squad. I recognize I John Roderick's voice from a podcast. That's, that strategy worked <laughs> a lot better in the grunge era than probably in the <laughs> facing a World War II era court martial. I'm not here to answer your questions, bro. <laughs> Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com slash start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash start. John Heisman was the coach of the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. He also coached the baseball team, interestingly. And, and the basketball team. And he had a yellow jacket in his bonnet about <laughs> Cumberland College, a small private liberal arts college in Lebanon, Tennessee, still there to this day, because they had recently beaten his baseball squad 22 to zero, a oh. shellacking. And it later came out that they had done so fraudulently, that the Cumberland baseball team had recruited professional players from the Nashville area, local semi-pro players, which at the time, I guess people were always just looking for an edge. College for sports not being as regulated as they were today. That seems like something you would be able to... Settle, settle with a gunfight. Well, yeah, that too. But but no, that you would be able to discern it by recognizing that these are... Well, think about it. In an age where, you know, we, we assume everybody goes to college. But back then, a bunch of college-age athletes were probably playing on the local pro or barnstorming team, oh, right? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, of course. Anyway, the next year following this uh, shameful baseball loss, MASH-style crooked baseball loss, mm-hmm. Heisman has been plotting revenge. So he arranges for Georgia Tech to play a football match against Cumberland. The problem is, in the interim, Cumberland is facing budget problems and they cancel their entire athletic program. <laughs> which well, that not, seems unfair. Which is not what a school would do today if they had athletic, if they had money problems. In a, today, you just uh, expand or wait until Trump weakens Title IX enough to cancel your women's program uh-huh. or something. But back then, I guess sports were not a cash cow. So it was just like, well, we're... We're out of money. We're canceling Sorry, sports. We don't have sports anymore. Is that okay? Well, why? So, so did they just cancel the game? Heisman says, absolutely not. That is not okay. This game is going, you know, this game's at Georgia Tech. This is a moneymaker for us. Mm-hmm. You need to pay us $3,000 if you forfeit this game, which again, you know, multiply by 20 or, or 25 to get the amount in modern money. It's a chunk of change that Cumberland did not have. Right. Heisman really wants to play this game. He really wants his sweet revenge. Yeah, because he's still mad about the baseball game. And he says, I will actually pay you $500, again, multiply by 20 or 25, to, to cover your expenses, to get a team together and bring it up here. I don't care if you don't have an athletic program. Like, well, we're going to have a we're gonna have a football game. This seems fun. This seems like the premise of an 80s teen comedy, right? Like, we've got to get a team together, like, get Booger. And <laughs> <laughs> In the 80s teen comedy, Cumberland would win. 
right? Right. They would, uh, I don't know, they would either cheat or discover flubber. There'd be a dog on the team. They'd have, they'd have some kind of radio. The, the nerds would invent some kind of radio that uh, right. wins them the game. I hate to break it to you, John, but that does not necessarily happen here. Oh, dear. Uh, I always root for the underdog. Cumberland uh, is definitely the underdog here. Uh, the former student manager of the football team, now without a football team, gets his frat brothers together, plus a few law students, plus just a few local guys from Nashville again, and says, hey, do you guys want to go to Georgia Tech? And a lot of them have never been on a train before. So they're like, boy, howdy, I do. <laughs> like free, free vacation to Georgia. Uh-huh. So these guys get their midnight train to Georgia and he's got a team together. Of course, it's still in violation of school rules against having inter, intermural athletics. But they're making 500 bucks. So the school should be at least pleased that they're not, they're not out of pocket for in this. In the historical record, it seems like the school is not seeing any of the 500 bucks because uh, the manager actually goes to the crusty old dean and tells him he's just running men's choir. Oh. Like, yeah, we got a men's choir. Maybe they're all winking and the school's getting a kickback. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But officially, this is a men- these are men's choir rehearsals and a men's choir trip. Um, and when the choir meets on the, you know, football local football field, uh, none of them really know how to run a football team. Uh-huh. The student manager doesn't have any plays to run. He doesn't have an idea. He doesn't have X's and O's. Basically, he just assigns each of them a vegetable. Hmm. Uh, a vegetable name, your cucumber, mm-hmm. your carrot, your rutabaga. And then in the huddle, he will just be like, cabbage to turnip on two. This is the worst remake of Reservoir Dogs I've ever heard. <laughs> Why do I have to be Mr. Turnip? <laughs> <laughs> and so that's all their plays are just the quarterback yelling cabbage to turnip. And that just means cabbage is going to hand off to turnip. Right. Like that's, that's as far as they've, as they've gotten with it's a actually code. a pretty good system. <laughs> Uh, on October 7th, 1916, the Cumberland squad, such as it is, arrives at Georgia Tech in not their full strength. Three of their players wandered off the train at a changeover in Nashville and never turned up again. Uh-huh. Oh, ever. We're never seen again. <laughs> never seen alive again. <laughs> to this day. No one knows. It's like the Bermuda Triangle. This day they haunt the station. <laughs> Ooh, we're going to miss kickoff. Cabbage to turn up. We're just law students. We're one else. <laughs> you owe me five hundred dollars. Uh and times twenty or twenty-five. So there are a few men down already against uh, a pretty elite college football team. Now, what made Georgia Tech elite? I guess it was that they were being coached by Heisman, future namesake of the Heisman Trophy. That's what made them. People are like, hey, our coach is in the future going to have a trophy named after him. Right. We better play well for for future trophy coach. It's interesting how something like that, to have the, the Heisman Trophy named after you, his name will live forever, right? It really will, and no one will know anything about his actual accomplishments. Like, I didn't know he was the basketball coach for Georgia Tech University in 1916. It's how a, would you even know? It's a pretty common way to become famous, actually. Like, the Bunsen burner is way more famous than any experiment Dr. Bunsen, whoever he did, actually performed. Right probably half the names we know are just people who uh, were lucky enough to wear a new kind of sweater or something. (laughs) Mr. Shrapnel and Mr. Cardigan and Uh all these people who just had Mr. Boycott. They were just in the right place at the right time. I'm sure the futurelings are like, as they sit uh, atop their Roderick stools, (laughs) are just laughing mirthful laughs at me still not knowing that the Roderick stool becomes the only thing 
for fashionable people to sit on. Fashionable he, future. Did like. you know he had a podcast too? Oh, the Roderick the stool, stool guy. That was the that was a real guy. <laughs> the stool guy had music. <laughs> uh, Cumberland gets the ball first, which is probably about as lucky as the day gets for them. Mm-hmm. And on their very first play, they run for a gain of three. Things are things are looking good for them. They did not know that that three yard game would pretty much be the high water mark of their offense. They ran for three yards on that single play. Uh-huh. Um, this is kind of straddling the age of the forward pass becoming acceptable. And I think they, in line with the Carlisle Indian strategy, are throwing the ball a lot. Over the game, they end up throwing the ball, I think, 15 or 17 times. Mm-hmm. Few or none of which are ever completed. Uh, Georgia Tech, by comparison, never throws the ball. They're one of these teams. Heisman's one of these guys who thinks it's manly to keep it on the ground. But despite their high-flying play, it does not go as well for Cumberland as for Pop Warner's Carlisle team. They do not advance the ball a single first down all afternoon. (laughs) Uh, Georgia Tech also does not have a single first down, but here's why. They score... (laughs) On every possession? On every single possession. They score on every single set of downs without ever needing a first down. How many... I mean, in order to score... uh, Have you revealed the ultimate score of the game? No, the oh. baseball score that lives at infamy in Heisman's mind was 22 to nothing. 22 baseball runs to zero. That's how we like to say baseball scores. Mm-hmm. On baseball Sports runs. Center, they'll be like, there were 22 baseball runs, whereas the uh, Marlins squadron only scored six baseball runs. That's right. And lose by 16 baseball runs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Heisman may have had that final score in mind because at the end of the day, the game winds up being a 222 to zero win, a blowout over Cumberland. And that takes some doing. Like if he really wanted that 22 to zero score to hold up, you know, the fact that it had to be 22 to zero. And if you do the math, what does that turn out to be? Uh, you know, extra points. That's not, 31. Not uh, a gimme back then. 31 touchdowns if every touchdown also got an extra point. Right. And in fact, they did not. The one offensive, the one defensive highlight for the day for Cumberland was blocking an extra point with some type of human pyramid, uh-huh. which was... <laughs> how, a, how long does it take to set up a human pyramid? Can you guys not kick for a second and close your eyes? <laughs> uh, that's a play that's been explicitly illegal in the NCAA since the 30s because I think Oregon State actually started using it to great effect and they could... That they could zip up a human pyramid really fast? In record time. Wow. Maybe they already have it at uh, at the kick. Maybe you're allowed to just make that your formation. Yeah, but you could still kick around it. It wouldn't be that hard to... I mean, a human pyramid still is going to... Bend it like Beckham? The human pyramid is moving. Oh. The guys, The guys in the bottom are walking side to side in a wobbly manner. Sure, moving like an asp. <laughs> so it's like Space Invaders or something where you're trying to get past the thing. <laughs> boop, boop, boop. But yes, 30-odd touchdowns. Eight were scored by a single player. The uh, the all-star for the Yellow Jackets that day was G.E. Stupper, who scored eight touchdowns. And it would have been nine, except on his ninth touchdown, not one to appear greedy. He just set the ball down in the grass near the end zone and waited for one of his teammates to come bring it in. <laughs> so they're showboating. At the end of the first quarter, it is 63 to nothing. And they keep that momentum. They keep that exact same... Uh, efficiency in the second quarter, 126 to zero at the half. So I, I'm trying to picture this time in American history, whether good sportsmanship included having a lighthearted feeling about being schooled this badly. I mean, it seems like good sportsmanship would have prohibited Georgia Tech from 
continuing to run up the score. Once they're up 126 to nothing. It seems poor sportsmanship by the standards of the time to not, I don't know, stop doing that. Uh, It feels like Cumberland could have retired the game or conceded it, but they kept playing. And so did it become fun? I mean, I'm trying to imagine (laughs) this being like a a lark where the, the crowd is enjoying the lopsidedness. They know they're seeing history, I guess. And it's a home crowd. Uh, Maybe they're happy to see the the score run up and they don't know that they're playing against a non-team. They don't know what a a kind of humiliating non-event this is. (laughs) But you're right. We think of this as an age of, of, you know, of more chivalrous time when people were still fighting duels and fair play above all. I don't know how many duels were being fought in 1916. Tons of duels. (laughs) There was no shortage of duels. This was only a few years before Steven Spielberg's duel. <laughs> that was the one I was picturing, actually. No, but there were, you know, there were, you know, your your honor could be challenged. Absolutely. And uh, and in, even in World War One, as I think we said in a previous entry, the officers on each side treated each other with generosity and noblesse oblige and, sure. just, and the idea that, uh, you know, gentlemen are above this kind of a fray. And I wonder if that was not the case so much across the Atlantic. I, well, I mean, I still, I think, I mean, this is like bare knuckle fisticuffs time, but but I, I feel like at the half, there had to have been some. At the half, Heisman tells his boys, this is not over. We've got a good lead, but who knows what surprises they've got up their sleeves. <laughs> like he is actively trying to run up the score wow. at, at 126 to nothing. But by the time the game ends, he he may have slacked off a little in the fourth quarter, possibly because he wanted that beautiful 222 mm-hmm. to nothing echo of his zero to 22 loss. Uh-huh. Um, but in the fourth quarter, they score, you know, a mere 42. Uh, oh, so they did slack off a little. Yes. And maybe they're just tired mm. or maybe Heisman wants his round number or maybe it is fair play and chivalry. I mean, tradition would dictate that he would start putting in his C-string players at that point, right? He would start pulling the stars out and putting in the water boy to give him a chance. I mean, you see that today because if nothing else, it limits injuries and gives experience to your junior players. I assume that was a strategy back then as well, but yeah. may- maybe not if your eyes are on that 222 point prize. Well, it turns out even his C team can score 42 points against against one else. Cumberland. Uh, the Georgia Tech in the whole game only ran 29 plays from scrimmage, hmm. which is remarkable. I, I looked up last night's Thursday night football game. Uh, both teams ran uh, 50 or 60 plays from scrimmage. This, these guys ran half as many, even though they were dominating just because they scored every time they had the ball. (laughs) They needed many fewer plays. They ran down the game clock, just running 100 yards at a time. (laughs) And they did it all on the ground. That's right. So they scored more touchdowns. They scored 32 touchdowns. They scored more touchdowns than they ran offensive plays, which if you know the game, you'll realize it must've been on defense. And that's true. Uh, Cumberland turned the ball over 15 times, nine fumbles, Six interceptions. Many of those returned for score. So the, the Georgia Tech defense scored uh, many more times than you know right. most most offenses would have scored that day. And uh, again, final score two hundred twenty two to zero. And you're asking at some point, does it become fun? Right. My guess is, if I had to lose either two hundred twenty two to nothing or two hundred twenty two to two hundred twenty one, I would choose the blowout. I don't have the skin for, I don't have the moxie for the heartbreak of the, of the narrow loss. I'm definitely someone that at a certain point during that game, if I'd been on Cumberland, I would have taken my pants down. 
I think even if I were on Georgia Tech, I would have taken my pants down at a certain point. What do you have in mind? You're just going to moon the crowd? Or? Yeah, you know, like uh, that, when I was in college, that was kind of one of my moves. That was your signature move? Not my signature. I had some, I had some more signature moves than that. But, you know, like dropping trow was certainly in the, um, in the quiver of possible responses of, of to your, situations. Of your many highbrow. <laughs> yeah. If you were in a college jokes. situation and something, you know. And you and, couldn't think of a witty remark. Yeah, if I was being publicly disciplined by a football coach or if G. Gordon Liddy came to, to give a speech, <laughs> I was not above standing up and, and taking my pants down. Is, a, is an audio medium like podcasting very difficult for you because you don't have this in your arsenal anymore? Uh, no, because I, I do a kind of like an audio pants drop for a couple times an episode. Boo! Have, I should have a slide whistle. <laughs> you have your bell every time you don't like a joke. And I have a slide whistle for every time you just drop your pants for no reason. You could take that sample from Groove is in the Heart. <laughs> Groove is in the Heart. Um, since then, much has been written about two, the 222 to 0 game, which is to this day the greatest blowout in college football history and perhaps in the history of any sports at all. Mm -hmm. Many have pointed out that Heisman uh, was an uh, actor by trade. Whoa. He was a performer and may have enjoyed the theatricality of this whole show. Yes. Just, he wouldn't have minded that he was casting a football team out of law students and then building up to this hilarious 222 to zero revenge finale. He was, he, if you look at him, uh, he's got that combination of like, he's chiseled looking and handsome, but also very much a, a face from an earlier time. Yeah, there, there do seem to be these faces they just don't make anymore. Yeah. And is it an illusion of glasses and haircut? Or are our genes really changing such that there are 1920s jawlines that don't exist anymore? Um, yeah. I, I wonder this a lot. I do too. If you look at a photograph of like a college team from 1910, you don't recognize a lot of those faces. There are faces you've never seen before because do you ever they're see... old-timey faces. Right. Sometimes walking around, do you ever notice old timey faces. For sure. I will just see a throwback guy on the bus and be like, oh my Look gosh. Look at him. It's like from the Dust Bowl. He's from the 27 Yankees. Yeah. Um, Georgia Tech, I think, is a little embarrassed by the legacy of their, you know, it's not a good look today to, ru to run up the be. score. Yeah. Sure. They should be embarrassed. Where's the noblesse oblige? Some guy writing a book about the, uh, about the incident was told in no uncertain terms by Georgia Tech that they were not going to cooperator be interviewed. Oh, really? Yeah. But um, Cumberland actually has really embraced it. It's, you know, probably one of the, even a hundred years later, it's probably one of the things they're most famous for. And there's a, one school of thought that this might have saved the school, that if they had lost that $70,000, that maybe they could not have made, that a university in tight financial space could not have made payroll. Really? And that by sending these sacrificial lambs down to Georgia to get their <laughs> asses kicked, that the college was therefore saved by the scrappy nerds of uh, Phi Delta Kappa or whatever it was. <laughs> well, thank goodness we still have a Cumberland University, right? Who would be guarding that side of Nashville? Who would be guarding the gap? Right. They're far from the gap, weirdly. Oh, is that true? Yeah. Uh, Nashville is in the center of Tennessee and Cumberland Gap is well to the east. Is Lebanon, Tennessee right outside Nashville? Yeah, it's mm -hmm. sort of right there. So why... Why did Heisman go on to be the namesake of the most famous trophy in college football? Uh, he was, it became an, you know, he continued to be an instrumental college coach at Georgia Tech. You know, they, they became one of the greatest teams in the Southern U.S. They actually beat Auburn, something they'd never been able to do for years. 
And he was behind a lot of the rule changes that, uh, you know, he, he, he must have eventually caught onto the forward pass, even though he didn't need it in this game. He was one of the main proponents of legalizing the forward pass. So much of the modern game of football we owe to him. Uh, looking at his statistics, he has a pretty good career record, 186 wins, 70 ties, and 18 losses. 70 ties. That tells you something about old-timey football. Yeah, ye olden days. Well, three to three. Let's all shake hands. But he also insanely was head football coach at Oberlin, Auburn, Clemson, Georgia Tech, University of Pennsylvania, Washington and Jefferson, and Rice. He was the head coach at all those kind of famous football Elite schools. Southern schools. Yeah. Also, this is one of those cases where it's like Mr. Boycott or Mr. Shrapnel or the Roderick Stool. Right. Um, he had the bad luck to die, or good luck, to die the year after the downtown athletic club had created its college football trophy. Right. And they were like, oh no, John Heisman. The greatest. We'll name the trophy after him. So, you know, it was, it was like during the week that Prince died and every white person you met had to tell you how much Prince meant to them. Right. As well. A, as a sign of their wokeness and bona fides. I was actually awarded the Prince trophy last year. <laughs> Is that right? Mm -hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. Funkiest white guy. Are you going to have to go steal it back like OJ did with his Heisman? No, I don't intend to murder anyone later in my career. And you're going to keep the trophy. You're going to be the funkiest white guy in perpetuity, I hope. I mean, that's why the Roderick Stool is so famous. And that concludes Cumberland versus Georgia Tech, entry 305.RM1219, certificate number 26347 in the Omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, please do not tweet at us that our show doesn't get to the point fast enough. Because it does. It gets to the point just as fast as it gets to the point. I think we are directly saying what we want to say at every second. That's like, right. We're building a house. You don't start with the windows. Yeah, thank you. You start with the foundation. Yeah, you start with the, with the river rock fireplace. If you want to talk about a 1916 football game, you actually just need to talk about my son's dating life for like 45, 55 minutes. <laughs> I think even if you weren't here, anyone else talking about this game would start by talking about Dylan Jennings dating life. Yeah, it's a little hack by now, yeah. right? Yeah. All, all the books start that way. <laughs> but uh, we recommend that you go to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram accounts at uh, Omnibus Project and write really nice things about us and to us. If you can't say anything nice. Don't say anything at all. That should be the law of the future. I hope that replaces, you know, the golden rule or four legs good, two legs bad or whatever else you guys have. Yeah. Really, it should don't, come from Bambi. Don't trust anyone over 350 years old. <laughs> uh, our handles were at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick on social media. Go check it out. I'm also on Instagram uh, under that name. Hilarious, wonderful times, lots of nudes. Uh, our address for email was omnibusproject at howstuffworks.com. Our uh, fan group on Facebook was called the Omnibus Futurelings, later revealed to be a Russian bot. The entire thing, all the people participating there. Were, were they all, all one Russian bot? They were just to bot, bots talking to one another. None of them realized they were bots. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, it's Th how, They're pretty good. They could pass the Turing test. It's how, it's how Space Lab became self-aware. <laughs> I didn't even know Space Lab became self-aware. So it committed suicide? <laughs> it, it threw itself to Australia in disgust? Uh, that was just uh, Space Lab's like 
outer husk. Space Lab still exists. There's a ghost of Skylab fl- floating yeah. above the Earth. Yeah, the spirit. The spirit of, nice. of I'm, Space Lab. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, if you want to send us some uh, 1970s Space Lab ephemera or other things like your dad's Vietnam era Zippo lighter or... If you want to, if he's passed on, don't yeah, right, right, don't right. steal stuff. Don't do elder abuse just because John likes old Zippos. If you are one of the fifty percent of Americans that believe in demonic possession, please do not send us any demons. <laughs> please send us your demon fighting gear or garb uh, at PO Box five five seven four four Shoreline Washington nine eight one five five. Listeners, we speak to you from your distant past. Uh, we soon-to-be-extinct carbon-based life have no idea how long our civilization is about to survive. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word to you. Also, if the Church of Scientology shuts us down after this episode, this could be it. Uh, But if Providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. Omnibus.